All right, welcome to the first proper episode of Low Left Podcast. Today, uh, I am going to share some of my thoughts on the Russo-Ukrainian war, like the conflict that's going on there. And this is a weird way of broaching this topic, right? And what I'm going to start off describing is simply the fact that it's hard to talk about there, because there are so many things about what's going on with the Russo-Ukrainian war that it's hard to know where to where to pick a starting point. There's the fact that, like, yeah, I think I'm, as I mentioned in the introductory podcast that I, I recorded, everything in the United States is presented through a American domestic partisan lens, and this has led to this, these wild distortions of how we are thinking about what's going on with the Russian invasion of Ukraine and whatnot. So I, I don't know if that's the place to start, though. That's, that's definitely something I want to explore, and I'm, I'm definitely going to dive into that. But the, the fact that we tend to view significant geostrategic events through what I think is entirely the wrong lens is just odd, right? Like, there, there's this strange idea that the world, like other countries, other people, even extremely powerful and wealthy and influential people like Vladimir Putin, who controls... Russia, which is, like it's a great power, like uh, some people still quantify it as a superpower, right? But somehow this guy has no real agency of his own, and as a result, the dude in charge of like six to seven thousand nuclear weapons in Russia, like the United States archetypal antagonist nation ever since the Cold War, somehow that guy is enthralled to what happens in Washington, D.C., and really, actually, uh, well, he's only responding to what's going on here. I'm not saying that it's totally wrong-headed to believe that other actors, including Vladimir Putin, are going to make decisions about how to act in response to or in relationship to the way things in the United States play out. I'm not saying that's wrong-headed or completely erroneous, but the idea that there isn't any real agency behind what other players want on the world stage and that everything is just in thrall to domestic, weird, partisan, tribal culture war things, I think that's just totally crazy. So that's something that I'd like, that's a string I'd like to pull out. I'll put it that way, right? Next, there's, like, what's actually happening? Like, it's worth pointing out that we're not going to know what has happened in Ukraine or in Russia for a really, really long time. Like, genuinely know. Like, this is what took place. This person did this thing at this location at that time. Because we're in the early stages of a massive uh, land war in Europe. The fog of war is real. Like, there's there's nothing new under the sun, right? And so the idea that we can know with a high degree of precision and certitude 
Like, yes, I know what is happening. It, it's it's untrue. I think that it's fair that we can make directional statements about what thing what things are taking place, but with a degree of like specificity and precision to genuinely know what is happening in real time is I don't think within our ken, right? The television shows like CSI and, and the, the prevalence of the internet on every cell phone in everyone's pocket all the time forever have, have given people, particularly Westerners in the United States, a really inflated sense of certitude, like the ability to just know things. You don't need to put any legwork in. You can just Google it. And you'll just know what's going on as a result. Like I can figure out the answers to complicated questions instantaneously. Ain't true, right? We're not going to know certainly everything that has taken place. So with that caveat that it's going to be a long time before we actually know all of the pertinent details and we understand the totality of circumstances, we can still look at really high-level overviews using open-source intelligence uh, or uh, analysis by, by people that have worked in this sphere for a long time to get like reasonable understandings about what has taken place sort of in the grant in the uh, non-granular sense like in the in the overview so from 30,000 feet we can get a snapshot about what what's going on with the with the addendum that it's it's not going to be all of the information it's going to be a very gross view and I say gross hey, part of it is gonna be gross like as in like revolting right a, a lot of what appears to be taking place is revolting right but like just in the in the very large scale sense we can get a, a feeling for what's taken place like we we have reasonable open source intelligence uh, about which specific units are engaged in certain areas we can use satellites to view like where troop movements are taking place we can have an idea about these things so that's something I'd like to talk about too but I don't know if that's the place to start. We can look at the historical context because there's also a very wrong-headed perspective here in the United States that the Russo-Ukrainian war started on the 24th of February, 2022. And this just totally ignores the fact that the Russians annexed the Crimean Peninsula and put troops into Eastern Ukraine in the Donbass region uh, in 2014. And this has been an ongoing low-level conflict for the last nearly a decade. So for eight years, this has been going on. And yes, there is a qualitative difference to what we are witnessing currently versus what has been ongoing for the last several years. I'm not, I'm not here to say it's been literally the same thing. That's stupid. But the Again, that lens, that strange, distracted by everything happening domestically lens that we use to look at everything has, is easily enough uh, pulled away from what's happening outside of the United States to either ignore or have never been exposed to the fact that Russia and Ukraine have been engaged in low-level conflict for a long time. And so the the recent historical ignorance of a lot of people is something I also want to discuss. That's something I'd like to look at. But I don't know if that's the place to start either, right? Then there is the Western response. And this is something I definitely want to spend quite a bit of time reflecting on. And 
part of it is because I think that within this category, there are a number of smaller things that need to be looked at. And one of those is the morality and the effectiveness of the sanctions that the United States and the European Union and the United Kingdom have levied against Russia. I'd also like to look at the efficacy of those sanctions. So first, like, is the idea that we are going to target the Russian civil population with probably unprecedented economic sanctions? Is that a moral thing to do? And I'd also like to just take a moment to reflect on at what point ever have economic sanctions prevented a tin pot dictator from doing a thing they wanted? So I guess I'll spoil the ending there a little bit, uh, having already waxed a little bit hot-headed there. Uh, nope, hasn't happened yet. Not that I've seen. How, how many economic sanctions did we dump into Iran for how long to permit them from being state sponsors of terrorism? And did it work? Oh, wait, no, it didn't. didn't work at all. You know, th thousands of Americans died in Iraq because of explosively formed penetrators and Iranian-backed militias and various other skullduggery that flowed from Tehran into Iraq explicitly to kill American servicemen. Didn't work. How many sanctions did it take to prevent the North Koreans from splitting the atom? Oh, wait, that didn't work either. At what point are we going to recognize that none of this crap does anything? And we can, we can sit there and we can look at all of the things that we are allegedly doing economically. And we can feel good about it. We can pat ourselves in the back. But realistically, the reason sanctions are popular, in my opinion, and this is potentially me waxing into the lack of nuance and bullshit zone, but my perspective is that we can pat ourselves on the back about the sanctions that we levy because they don't require us to do very much. And I don't believe they work. So we can triple down on it. We can quadruple or quintuple down on the idea of sanctions. And we can sit back here in the West in places that are very, very far removed from Kharkiv and Mariupol and think what a wonderful job we're doing at deterring Russian aggression. But realistically, like, it doesn't matter how uncommon and expensive AirPods become in Vladivostok. None of that has anything to do with what the 20th Combined Arms Army is doing. It's just not the case that any of these economic sanctions are going to accomplish a military objective. And I, I'd, I'd like to spend more time fleshing that topic out. Here I am spoiling the ending a little bit. So... What the Western response looked like. Is it moral? Is it effective? I'd also like to talk a little bit about why should we care? A lot of very prominent people in the United States, I think most obviously on the political right, uh, folks like uh, Tucker Carlson, I think I said that explicitly. I don't, I don't watch cable news. I've, I've seen bits and pieces of what Tucker Carlson has done over the years. And uh, historically, I found him to be uh, a bit odious, but um, I enjoyed quite a bit of his content as it pertains to coronavirus lockdowns and whatnot. I guess this is exposing quite a bit of my, uh, I guess, 
political uh, affiliations. I do consider myself to be a political conservative. Uh, that said, it's not just the political right, even though they're the, I guess, most high-profile people that are uh, weirdly ambivalent or otherwise unengaged with what's happening in Ukraine. So I'd like to talk about why we should care about it and why the fringes of the American political left and the American political right, who are, I think, way off the reservation about not caring, are incorrect. I'd like to talk about why we should care about that. I don't know if that's where we should start, though. I'm not sure if that is the thread to pull on to get to the heart of the issue. There's a lot here. Like the, it, it's a big deal. Like watching the largest land war in Europe since the Second World War unfold. It's a big topic. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, I, I'd like to talk about like the, the response that the Ukrainian people, and apparently my cat who's meowing in the background, uh, I'd like to talk about what they're doing and the relevance of the individual right to keep and bear arms to what is being experienced on a daily basis by the people of Ukraine. Like the relevance of all of that. But I'm not sure if that's the place to start either. So I say all this as a way of introducing future topics more so than as a way of like fully fleshing out any, any individual issue. Because there's, there's a ton here. And I think it's appropriate that each of these particular subsets be given room to breathe. And I'm not completely sure what order I'm going to tackle these in. Uh, I'm not completely sure to whom I'm going to speak about all these various issues. But these are definitely things I'd like to talk about. So that's episode one. The elephant in the room. It's Russian. It's a Russo-Ukrainian elephant in the room. It is the biggest thing that's going on in current events today. It is the largest humanitarian crisis that has uh, enveloped the European continent in a very long time. It's the first major land war in Europe since the Second World War. These are all big-ticket things. And I guess I, I got one more thing I want to add. One more, as I've been saying, string I'd like to pull at geostrategically, even outside of the moral stance or the philosophical reason why I believe we should care about this, I think there's a realpolitik, geopolitics, practical, what is our national interest? And I think beyond that, what's our civilizational interest? Why should Western countries give a crap about what's happening in Ukraine with Russian invasion? Why I think it's important that uh, we take the idea of victory very seriously here. One more thing that I think we should talk about. So, all that said, at the elephant in the room, Russo-Ukrainian war, it's happening. And I'm looking forward to the next several episodes to talk about each of these individual ideas in greater detail. So, thanks for tuning in again. And I, this is almost like a... I guess you could end this episode looking like blue balls or something like, oh, God, he's only talked about things he wants to talk about in the future. That's fair. That's true. I get to hear my cat meowing in the background a couple of times. Not the world's most professional thing. But again, hey, I'm not doing this as a source of income or revenue. I am doing this because it's a way for me to express the things that I'm thinking about and hopefully solicit some 
thoughtful uh, response from like-minded folks that are thinking the same things. So, yeah, that's the next few things I'm going to talk about. And then I'll try to intersperse this with other things that are not related to this one topic. I don't want this podcast to only turn into a monomaniacal pursuit of this one specific event, because I know there are other things going on. And I, <laughs> it feels a bit cheap to say that, knowing what's what's going on in Ukraine and the stakes, as I perceive them anyway, uh, particularly if you're a random person living there. So anyway, that's that's all I've got for now. Uh, thanks for thanks for tuning in. I hope that this was a way of organizing some of your thoughts about like where should we start because there's I know there's a lot there, uh, and if there are any things that I've missed any topics that relate to the Russo-Ukrainian war that you think deserve their own moment of reflection that I haven't considered, let me know. That's all I got for now. We'll talk again later.